Hey, you want to open up your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 3? We're going to be talking about the promise of Christmas. And I know Genesis sounds like a weird spot to begin from Christmas, but the reason that we're going to um, talk about Christmas from that vantage point will be obvious in a few minutes. About three years ago, I was in an elevator with my third semester nursing instructor. This particular instructor saw it as her mission to fail as many people as she could. In fact, we started our nursing class with about 70 students and we only graduated 23. So, and many of them were failed in one of her courses. And now it was obvious to everybody and they were telling me she had her sights on failing me. She didn't like paramedics. And she didn't think paramedics should be able to allow her to become nurses. She just had this kind of weird thing. And it was obvious she was trying to fail me in any of the three classes I was taking with her that semester. As we rode in the elevator, she's looking through her grade book and gleefully telling me there's no way I could pass complex health alterations. It's a class where you learn about all the possible diseases the human body can have. She said I would need to get a 97% on the final exam to raise my grade and my test average enough to pass the class, and no one had ever scored more than a 92 on one of her exams. So I might as well get it in my head that I'm we got one more paramedic who couldn't hack nursing school and is going to flunk out. As the elevator door opened, she looked back, grinned, and said, maybe you should just give up. You don't have what it takes to be a nurse. I'll tell you what, after everything I was going through in nursing school and all the hours I was putting in and studying, that was a punch in the gut. And I drove home from Marshfield with those words echoing in my head. I failed. There's no possible way I'm going to be able to, to get this test done or get it a high enough grade. And maybe I should just give up. I'm going to have to face my family, my church, my coworkers as a failure. I had never failed anything like that in my life. So it was really, really hard for me to accept. And that word failure, it just kept echoing. In my heart, my mind, my soul, it was really dragging me down. Have you ever had that in your life? A moment where maybe you didn't get the grade, or maybe you messed up in a job or didn't get the job you wanted, or maybe failed in a relationship that was very dear to you? All of us have had to deal with failure at one time or another in our life. Now, relating that to our scripture this morning, the first failure ever experienced by anyone was Adam and Eve. Imagine how they felt. They were the first to ever fail. In fact, they didn't even have a chip in their head, if you will, to process failure. They were never meant to fail. They, they didn't have the, the frame of reference to even deal with this idea. I mean, they had been able to trust what people told them. Up until this time, they trusted the words of the serpent, and now the serpent's sitting there laughing at them because he caused them to fail. Now they're being disciplined and led out of paradise by God himself and thrown out of the most perfect existence humanity has ever known. And I would imagine that the weight of their failure just had to be crushing them. It's one thing to, for me to fail you or you to fail me or for us to fail each other, but to fail God to his face, imagine the weight of that. 
But God in his mercy at that point gave him them a promise that foretold of a person who would make everything right someday. And that's where we pick up the scripture this morning. God is speaking first to the serpent and then to Adam and Eve. So Genesis 3, starting in verse 14 and going into 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. You will crush your head, or he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take these words written so long ago and help apply them to our life today. Help us to understand the promise of Christmas. Help us to understand the promise that was given even in Genesis, how it applies to our life today, and how it even applies to this season that we are in, the Christmas season, where you came, took on flesh, and became God among us. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So today I want to talk about the promise of Christmas. And the promise of Christmas is that God will make will someday make all things right again. The promise we just read is called the Proto-Evangelium. The big theological word, don't worry, it's the only one I'm using today. The big theological word that means the first mention in the Bible of the gospel. Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy of John 3.16. It's a promise that even when we fail God, we can be assured that he has already made a way back for us. And Christmas is the ultimate proof of that. The coming of the Son of God in human form was a fulfillment of what was promised by God in the Garden of Eden. It was a promise for every human who has ever lived. But what does this mean for us personally? What about or what do we do when we fail? How do we experience the joy of the Lord when we are being crushed by the weight of guilt and failure? Let's explore that today by looking at the darkness of failure. We're going to explore the darkness of failure by looking at one of the darkest times of one of the Bible's most famous men, King David. For those of us who really get into our Bible, we know that his biggest failure is when he committed adultery with the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah. You can read about this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But let me just go through the story. One night, David is on his rooftop of his palace, and he saw a young woman bathing on her rooftop. The woman was named Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Now, some people have said that she was being an exhibitionist by bathing on her rooftop where everybody could see her, but that's, that's not really the case. If you understand the culture from which she came, Bathsheba was most likely bathing on her roof in obedience to the Jewish law, particularly Leviticus 15, that said that a woman who had just finished her period had to bathe herself to be considered clean again. Now, this is 
Old Testament law, this doesn't apply to us today, but this is what she um, was living with. According to Levitical law, anything that even was touched by a piece of clothing worn during that time of the month would be considered unclean and have to be very deeply cleaned or destroyed. And that's why bathing tents were erected on rooftops for this very reason. Now, this was, she was in a tent. Maybe the wind blew a cover aside. Something happened where David got to see her bathing unclothed. This inflamed a lust within him, but it was a lust that was already there. We have to remember that David was a man who had multiple wives. He had a harem with at least 10 concubines. He wasn't even with his army right now where he should have been. His army's out in the field fighting the wars. He's back at home with his wives and concubines. So it showed where his priorities were. This guy was swimming in sexual desire 24-7, so it's no wonder why Satan used this bait to try to make him morally fall. And fall he did. Not only did he sleep with one of his best friend's wives, but Bathsheba gets pregnant. David tries to cover it up by having Uriah recalled immediately to Jerusalem to spend some time with his wife. Uriah obeys, he returns, but he refuses to go home. He was a man of honor. He said, my men are out there in the field. They're fighting the wars of Israel. I am not going to go home and be with my wife. That would be dishonoring to them. I am their leader, and I'm going to set an example. So having no other options and not wanting to deal with the shame of his sin being discovered, David arranges for Uriah to die in battle. David's thinks his plans worked. Uriah's dead, and he takes Bathsheba as his wife. So the timing of the pregnancy works out to, the, to everybody around him. But God wasn't going to let him get away with that. The father sends a prophet to publicly confront David about this hidden sin. And the prophet pronounces a judgment that his son, born through the sinful act with Bathsheba, would surely die. So that's a background of what we're talking about when we talk about the darkness of failure. As many of you know, David wrote much of the book of Psalms. Several of the Psalms he recorded were written during this time, especially around the several days where his son was on his deathbed. Take a moment and just imagine David, crushed, on his face before God, crying out to God for forgiveness and to have mercy on his son. Put yourself in his place for a moment. He was so broken, he wrote a prayer during this time. Psalm 51, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. There's a truth of life that many of us have experienced that like David, sometimes we're so stubborn 
and insisting on doing what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do, that it takes a huge fall to get our attention. Maybe it's an addiction that God wants you to break. Maybe it's a poor choice in your love life or a bad habit you can't seem to be free of. Whatever it is, often the end result is we need to hit rock bottom before we change. That's where David is right now. This whole incident was a result of him breaking the law of God, having multiple wives and then concubines on top of that. I remember I was in a, a New Believers Bible study where a person was reading the Bible and he came upon this story. And he said, man, the men in the Old Testament just had it made. We they could have all these wives, they could have all these concubines, they could have, you know, all this stuff, and we're stuck with just one. The pastor just kind of smiled and said, well, let's look and see what happened because of that. It's not okay. God was not winking at David's sin. David paid a very heavy price. Not only here, which in this story, but his entire family that spirit carried over to his sons. David's firstborn son, Abnon, inflamed with the same spirit of lust as his father, rapes his half-sister and is killed by her brother and David's third son, Absalom. Speaking of Absalom, he tries at least two times to kill his father and take his throne. He's later killed by Joab, the general of David's armies. Adonijah, also attempts to usurp his father and take his throne. He's forgiven, but then tries again when Solomon becomes king, and Solomon has him executed. And then, of course, what we just read, David's firstborn son with Bathsheba dies in infancy. But not let, let's not forget David's son Solomon. He multiplied his father's sexual sin a hundredfold. Seven hundred wives and 300 concubines. Do they have name tags? I, I don't know how you keep track of that many people. But look what happened. After Solomon dies, the kingdom fractures. Within a few hundred years, the eventual destruction of both Israel and Judah happened. Assyria and Babylon wiped them out. I bring this up to show that no, how, no matter how clever you are and how well you think you're able to hide your sin, the Bible says your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. It will come out eventually. It's happened to David and now he's paying the price. The weight of that price is crushing him. He's in the darkness of failure. In Psalm 6, he writes, I am worn out with my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and they fail because of all my foes. Has anyone ever been there in their life? Have you been ever buried underneath the weight of guilt and shame? A place where you feel trapped all hope gone and no way out. That's exactly where the enemy wants you. And where he can destroy you. 
unless you reach up and take a hold of the promise he gives us. The power of what God promised in Genesis 3.15 was pointing both to Christmas being the birth of Christ and later to the, pro- to the cross of Christ. As a prophet Isaiah foretold, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The light of Christmas is humanity's hope of being drugged out of this darkness, being realized. But it was at the cross of Christ that it was ultimately fulfilled. If you look at the cross of Christ from a human perspective, if you were living in Passover, A.D. 33, in the city of Jerusalem, all you would be hearing about is that this Jesus, this religious fanatic out there, this great teacher and miracle worker, the one that most of his followers have been saying, this is him, this is the Messiah, is now beaten beyond recognition and hanging on a Roman cross, gasping the to breathe, and fading very fast. I think in their spirits, the disciples and his followers heard the laughter of hell as Jesus cried out his final time and gave up his spirit. It was right here that the serpent had struck the heel of the Son of Man. You remember what happened. The sun grew dark. All of heaven and earth recoiled and shook as as their creator died. All of creation screamed in terror as hell rejoiced in accomplishing their mission, killing God's son, so that humanity now had no hope of salvation. At that time, the light went out. The hope was gone. Again, many of us have been here at some time in our life. Maybe it's somebody here this morning or someone on the podcast. Maybe you're right there. It feels like your enemies have surrounded you. They've won and it feels like you're in the water going down for the last time. All you can hear in your mind and spirit is the laughter of hell and you're ready to give up. If that's you, listen, listen. Three days after the cross, Satan striking the heel of Jesus, that same heel came slamming down on the serpent's head, crushing it and its power. The promise made in Eden is now fulfilled. The lesson here is this, is that no matter how dark it gets, God is there. Cast your cares upon him, and he will lift you up in due time and let you experience the joy he has promised. It happened to me. At the beginning of the message, I was speaking about an incident from nursing school. I remember that night when I got home, I was stressed out, thinking about the final exam I had to take in the morning. took it on a computer with a, a web camera to make sure that we don't cheat. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to get a high enough grade to bring my average up to pass this class. I'm going to have to either drop out or repeat third semester with the same teacher. And 
I was just freaking out a little bit. And I'm sitting in my office, I'm trying to study, I'm staring at the PowerPoints, listening to the lectures, reading the textbook, and I don't know if you've ever had that, that mind block going on in your head where you just can't think and you can't absorb any further information. And I just felt completely hopeless. And as I'm sitting there with fear and anxiety ruling in my heart, I hear God tell me, just worship. I'm like, Father, I don't know if you like took a day off or something, but I don't know if you know what I'm going through right now. But I don't have any joy. I don't have any peace. Even my faith is, is shaking right now. I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even have a rational thought at this moment. And the voice repeated to me, he said, Son, just worship. Just worship. I said, okay, okay. Clicked opened my media player on my computer, selected a worship playlist and just let it play. Didn't work. Couldn't get into it at all. It just, it was noise. It was almost irritating in my ears. Just made me more frustrated. But again, God tells me, just worship. So I opened up my Bible. I don't know if anybody does this sometimes. You say, God, I need to hear from you. I opened it up to Psalm, to a random page. It happened to be Psalm 63. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and have beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. I suddenly felt the presence of God fill me in a very intimate and special way. All that fear, all that doubt, and all that unbelief melted away. Suddenly, it felt like I swallowed all 1,712 pages of the nursing textbook. It was all clear, completely clear in my mind. And I was able to go to bed in peace and sleep all night. The next morning, I went to the fire station. You have to be in a, a room alone with nothing on the walls, and I don't have that in my house. Um, so I went to the fire station. It was all clear in my head. I had no inter interruptions. I clicked begin on the test. 35 minutes later, I was done. I took a deep breath, clicked finish, waited about five seconds, switched pages over to the grading page, I had gotten a 97.5 and a final grade of 82% for the class. 80 was passing for any nursing class. I learned the lesson, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will lift you up. And I want you to remember this lesson that I learned because it's vital also in your life. It's exactly 
the same lesson that David learned during this part of his life. When all grows dark, when all hope is lost, when it seems like there is no way out of the mess you've gotten yourself in, just worship. If music doesn't work, open up the word, particularly to the Psalms. And the truth of God's word will fill you, illuminate you, and restore you. You say, why do we focus so much on worship? Because worship brings God's close. God's light will come and overwhelm the darkness and whatever life or the enemy is throwing at you. Invite God in and he will fix everything you need. And then you will experience the joy of restoration. That was the second part of the promise made in Genesis 3.15, is there is a promise of restoration there. In this case, the relationship was restored at the cross, but the intimacy was given back at Pentecost when we were filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. That spiritual nakedness that humanity had experienced after the fall in Genesis chapter 3 was now clothed in in us. We were now clothed as the Holy Spirit returned to his rightful place. The human heart. That's why God's word to me was just worship, because nothing attracts the Holy Spirit more than a repentant heart lifting up to God in honest praise. And that's why throughout church history, even faced with the worst the enemy could throw in at them, even when facing lions in the arena or, or horrific executions, they could go to their deaths with a smile because the Holy Spirit was in control and lifting up their eyes to see where their hope comes from. That, my friends, is the power of the promise and the power of Christmas. It reminds us the devil is a defeated foe. He's a toothless lion. All he can do is roar. But if you have ears tuned into the Holy Spirit, the only thing he's going to be able to roar at you is maybe a slight meow. He's a toothless lion. You have all the power of God on, at your disposal. And finally, that fulfilled promise of Genesis 3 reminds us of this, that God's promises to us are yea and amen. God has never broken his promise to us, and he never will, including the fact that he will return one day to bring us to him. And my gosh, if you've read the, or seen the news in the last few days, he's coming pretty quick. Maranatha, Jesus, come quickly, Lord.